Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Lifetime Value. I'm your host, Rithik. I'm extremely pleased to have Miguel Armasa as my second monthly mystery guest for this season. And I'll tell you exactly why I'm very, very excited about having this guy on, because Miguel is the co-president of Wharton Fintech, which currently has 203 episodes on Spotify and, and was a massive inspiration for my own podcast, Lifetime Value. So you can tell it in my voice how excited I am uh, to have him on the podcast. A little bit about Miguel. He's currently pursuing two masters, an MBA at uh, Wharton itself and uh, a master's in international studies at the Lauder Institute. A bit about his background, you know, it might seem that he may be a very corporate guy having spent a lot of time in structured finance, but actually, you know, he's had a very entrepreneurial streak. He's founded a Facebook comedy page that has around 3 million fans. So today, Miguel is going to talk to us about his journey within podcasting itself. So yeah, I'm making a podcast about podcasting. And he explains his creative process, talks about what he has learned about himself, his guests, and about entrepreneurship through this endeavor that he's been part of. And finally, Miguel wraps up with uh, telling us about his passion for fintech. So without any further ado, please help me welcome Miguel. Ritik, thank you so much. Uh, that, was, that was a great intro and I am honored to be here. How are you? How are you today? I'm really good. I'm extremely excited about this. Uh, I got in touch with you because, you know, every other day I'm seeing you know, you're, you're saying you're putting some content out on LinkedIn. I'm like, wow, this guy has been talking to almost every important entrepreneur or founder or VC in, in the whole America space. And, and I wanted to know more about the guy behind the scenes. So I'm extremely excited to speak with you today. And, you know, maybe you can start us off by giving us an introduction. Of course, of course. Uh, well, Again, very happy to be here. A little bit about myself. So I've been in the, in the US for about a dozen, 12 to 13 years. I moved for university for my undergrad degree. Mm -hmm. And I, I really moved to pursue something within business. I wasn't sure what was that going to look like or where was I going to end up. And, you know, as things work eventually i ended up in in new york city mm -hmm. working for a, a large bank for one of their big rotational programs mm -hmm. uh, really i think it it really suited my personality because i've kind of grew up all over the place and i don't know every two to three years i get an itch to to do something different and and you know that doesn't always mean switching jobs uh, or that doesn't always mean moving somewhere else, but it's, I, I crave variety, right? Mm -hmm. And so I joined this rotational program that was going to deliver on the variety front because it was going to expose me to a number of teams, but at the same time, it had the promise to take you abroad. And so uh, I was fortunate to be, you know, uh, selected to go abroad and I, I went to Dublin Ireland for about a year. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I've never drank as much Guinness, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, really, really love Dublin and the, the Irish people. 
and it's it's really the gateway to the entire continent right so mm-hmm. also got to explore europe throughout that time mm-hmm. um so that was um that was the beginning of my career focus on on, on finance uh corporate mostly corporate banking and i remember as soon as i paid off my student loans i decided to you know to to focus on on investing in in the entrepreneurial world mm-hmm. i i don't i always knew that banking for me was a stepping stone to do something more entrepreneurial mm-hmm. and probably the best way to learn was to stay close to entrepreneurs themselves right, right. so over time started to build a small portfolio that became not so small you know after a few years and mm-hmm. you know applying to Wharton for me was really the perfect gateway to to make that switch and and get out of banking but still stay within the financial sector mm-hmm. right fintech is something i've been passionate about since you know I, I i really can't tell you since when but it's it's been a number of years um, mm-hmm. working within a bank, you really see why the fintech story makes sense, right? Yep. And and I knew that Wharton had a strong fintech platform. Mm-hmm. And so that was uh, that was my goal, right? To, to take advantage of that platform. And, you know, very, very fortunate and grateful to to have gotten accepted. And, you know, I'm, I'm now in the, actually in the final stretch, you know, it's, it's just a number of man, months yeah. left but uh it's it's been an amazing ride so far excellent and tell me about wharton fintech podcast and how did that come about and how has your journey been yeah, yeah 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 so listen i'll be honest i came into wharton having the goal to start building a, a brand right mm-hmm. for myself but i would have been happy publishing three, four articles, right? Right. I, I had no idea, um, you know, how how was that going to look like, right? Yeah. So I came in and to be honest, you know, because I'm doing a dual degree, I started a little bit early. I started, okay. uh, most MBAs start around August, September. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked as in August. I started in May uh, as part of the Lauder Institute. We, we, we have three and a half extra months. And okay. so... It took me from from May to January, right? So that's seven around seven months. It took me that long to really, you know, get the courage to record my first podcast episode. And wow. and once I did it, I it, I just I felt energized. You know, I felt so happy after doing it. It was with um, with a Brazilian neobank, neo, actually Neon Bank with Pedro right. Conrade. And, and so I, I enjoyed it so much that I said to myself, all right, I'm going to use this platform mm-hmm. and I'm going to record maybe one per month. And, <laughs> you know, by the time I graduated, that would have been around 15, 18 episodes. Yep. And trust me, I would have been extremely happy with that result. Yep. But the world changed right and mm-hmm. and then i also realized that most people were were willing to to tell their story mm-hmm. right um, and so around march i was starting to maybe step on the gas and mm-hmm. start invite a few more people maybe more than once per month mm-hmm. and and that just you know increasingly accelerated 
And it got to the point that in May, <laughs> I was recording six times a week. No way. You know? everyone, <laughs> everyone thought I was crazy. You know? They're probably right. <laughs> but it, it was just an amazing experience because one day I was interviewing the largest fintech in Mexico. Then I would turn around and interview the largest fintech in Russia. Uh, go to sleep, wake up, interview the largest fintech in Greece. You know, and so wow. it was just without that ability to travel. That mm -hmm. you know, by the way, I love to travel. Mm -hmm. Without that ability to travel, this was a way to explore the world. You know, as cliche as it sounds, like <laughs> it was. It was. It was still pretty amazing. I, I still hope to have a a podcast tour where I get to visit <laughs> a lot of these people. Uh, but for now, I'll. I'll I'll be content. I'll be very happy, in fact, with Zoom. And so, you know, and that's just evolved. And I, and I realized I, I absolutely enjoyed it, mm -hmm. right? And, and so very early, I, I decided to treat it like a real show, you know? Okay. And, and, you know, I think every generation takes the, has taken the podcast to the next level. And so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm probably the fourth or fifth generation to take over the podcast okay and we've gone from two a month roughly mm -hmm. to now four a week right and we publish four times wow. a week and then we've gone up in the charts um yeah since since march we have seven x our our audience actually more actually we just closed our, our biggest month yet so close to close to 10x if i'm honest with you but, but again, I think it's, it, every generation has been great, uh, but mm -hmm. it just takes time, mm -hmm. right? And also, I enjoy it. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be against having a podcast platform post Wharton. Mm -hmm. um, so that really has fueled my desire to do more and more. So it, it's, it's been a great ride. By the way, I'm not the only one. So yep. I, I, I'm one of the two co-presidents of, of the club, the FinTech club. Mm -hmm. But in the podcast team, there's there's two of us from from well, actually three of us from my year, uh, Ryan and Anchit, and then we just recruited three more from um, from the first year, and then it's it's just an amazing team. Yeah. And the wider club, we have about close to three hundred members. Wow. So it, it, it's not just me, uh, mm -hmm. although I I've done probably the the majority of the podcast this year, okay. but there's no way you can do this by yourself. You, you absolutely need a team and, yeah. and you need a lot of support. And I also have the support from the school, right? Mm -hmm. and, and no one's watching what I do. Mm -hmm. um, I have 100% full control, mm -hmm. but there is definitely support there uh, from specifically from what's called the, fin, the, the Stevens Center okay. uh, within Wharton. And it's a center for research of you know, finance, the future of finance. Very, very interesting answer. And if you're looking to continue doing this post MBA, you know, hey, my podcast <laughs> can, can definitely, two heads are definitely better than one. You know, I'd love to be uh, co-hosting this with you. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's so fascinating to hear that it's such a concerted effort from the 300 that you are within the club itself to, 
five to 10 of you guys that are constantly churning out these, these podcasts as well. It's very fascinating. It, it kind of reminds me of like, it started with like a small number of people having an idea and then you guys scaling it. Reminds me a lot of the journey of an actual startup itself, you know? Uh, at this point in time, it, I mean, you guys could even be raising a series A just for the podcast itself. You know, it's, it's very fascinating. Yeah, I think funny you say that. I, I've done the numbers and I've talked to social media marketers. Mm-hmm. And if we were an actual business, we would be making several thousand dollars a month, right? And we could be scaling it uh, by a lot, right? Yeah. But the beauty of it is that it's a labor of love, right? No one's getting paid for this. And I think that's what makes it better. Like everyone who's mm-hmm. doing it is doing it for genuine reasons, right? right? It's almost like in the US, right? There's college football or college basketball, and then there's professional ones. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people prefer the college version because they feel it's, it's, there's more passion and it's more mm-hmm. genuine. There's no no money per se involved or at least not as much right so i it's definitely the same process so you know it's absolutely a labor of love i mean you you get a lot of benefits that come Mm -hmm. out of it there's no doubt but it's extremely genuine and and you know actually i've been i've been pretty happy to to talk to a lot of aspiring podcasters in the last year okay um Mm -hmm. you know it's interesting what's going on in podcasting but i always tell them there's good news and bad news, right? And I'll start okay. with the good news. Good news okay. is the barriers of entry mm-hmm. could not be lower, yeah. right? Like you just need a microphone and an internet connection or maybe not even an internet. You can do it over the phone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The tools are there and they're extremely cheap, yeah. right? So that's the good news. The bad news is that it's a crowded field, mm-hmm. right? And that means that the only way to be successful is not just to have good content. There's a lot of good content out there. True. But you need to be extremely consistent, mm-hmm. right? Extremely consistent. And you have to work on your distribution, right? If, okay. if you don't solve for your distribution, no one's going to find you. Okay? Very true. So that's why we're putting so much content out there. I mean, first we enjoy it, but yeah. then it's the only way to build an audience. So true. And that neatly leads me to the next question. You know, what is your creative process like during the podcast? Because I may have a very different approach from you and, you know, I'll I'll share with you as well, like what goes in my mind when I decide that this prospective guest is going to be on the show. But considering you guys are interviewing so many different entrepreneurs, all of whom are extremely interesting, you you know, you got to build a rapport, et cetera. How do you go about doing that? Well, you, I think there's a, there's a base that has, has to be there. Like some, some FinTech knowledge that you have to have, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if your podcast is not in FinTech, but it's in tennis, right? You have mm-hmm. to have some, some previous knowledge in, in tennis, right? So mm-hmm. I think that base is, is crucial, right? Okay. But assuming you have that base for whatever area you're focusing on, once you book a guest and the way I approach it, you know, you, you have to understand their company, right? Mm -hmm. You have to understand the landscape that they play in. Mm -hmm. Right. So if it's a credit company, then you have to understand, 
you know, what they're all about, who are the competitors, right? What are the, some of the major events that they've had recently? So you, you have to do a sort of a mini deep dive mm-hmm. on the company, on the founder, right? Um, you also have to have to be aware of, you know, how, how some events can connect to them because that will help you craft better questions. I think mm. a lot of these people who are coming on the show, I'm definitely not their first interview, right? They, they've, sure. they've done, sometimes they've been on, on Bloomberg. Sometimes they've only done a couple of podcasts, right? It, you know, it ranges. But there's, there's definitely, you know, that element that they've already been interviewed, so mm-hmm. for the interview to, to be interesting for them and for the audience, you have to find a way to ask, uh, you know, unique questions, Correct. right? Uh, they, they want, not, not all the questions will be unique, okay? Sure. But you got to have a few, right? Mm-hmm. And you will only come up with those if you do your research. And for me, it's not about preparing for a single interview, Right. It's about preparing constantly for mm-hmm. the, the entire fintech landscape. So you, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people involved in the industry one way or another every day, okay? And, and so that helps me inform my question to the next interview, right? That maybe mm-hmm. has, has nothing to do with the person I talked to two hours ago, but still there's, there's a connection there. So I, I think understanding the industry is more mm-hmm. important than understanding the company. So first you understand the industry mm-hmm. and then you do a mini deep dive on the company and the guest. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and also like FinTech is, is a very big ecosystem, right? That that's mm-hmm. not a secret. So we try to, we try to talk to, you know, founders or, or investors that have some track record. Right, because mm-hmm. if if we focused on on seed or even Series A companies, it would be much harder to pick who to interview. But if if we go Series B and beyond, that makes our job a little bit easier. It's a balance, interesting things, but also things that the audience is is interested in. Correct. Right. So you know we've had some exceptions and we've had uh, a number of seed and Series A companies, but for the most part, we prefer someone with meaningful track record something that's extremely important for the process you have to get to know the person it's it's yep. so much better if you have a schedule uh, a call ahead of time where you get to mm-hmm. know them right so making them feel comfortable is crucial it's crucial yep. and i've had interviews where we don't have that and we start recording in minute five of our first call yeah. And it takes me 15 to 20 minutes to make them comfortable. So the right. first half of the interview would not be as good as the second half. And, you know, that, that's okay. I mean, these are extremely busy executives. Yeah. Uh, so it's not always possible, but it definitely helps to have that, that uh, prep call. And, you know, it, it's funny, media, specifically business podcasting mm-hmm. has, I've discovered, I found that there's a significant overlap with VC, right? And I don't know the percentage, if it's 10, 30, or 50%, I think mm-hmm. it depends. 
but there's a lot of overlap because again, you have to do this, this deep dives. You have to understand the, the market. You have to know the key players, mm-hmm. right? And, and, you know, I, I have one example, you know, I, I, I won't say exactly the name of the company, but <laughs> astute people will know. So yeah. I, I interviewed this big founder yeah. and they had had an announcement a day before of a major collaboration with like one of the large, large Silicon Valley titans. Mm-hmm. Um, and it related to payments and so major collaboration. And so I asked this person about it and they talked for four minutes. Great, great answer, right? Yep. Inspiring answer. Two days later, <laughs> you know, the, the government just regulates <laughs> that that collaboration was not, you know, yeah. was, was not within the law or was, yeah. was not uh, permitted. Yeah. Okay. And so I freaked out a little because I was like, damn, that's like 10% of our interview. <laughs> and what it's going to be controversial if, if I put it, what are we going to do? So yeah. when in doubt, just ask. Right. Yep. So I just, you know, I made it easy and I, I reached out to this person and, you know, they, they, they came back to me. It's like, listen, you know, let, let's just put it out. It's, it's a good answer. Let's go for it. But if I wasn't following the industry every day, I, I could have missed that. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and you never know, maybe the answer would have been absolutely take it out, uh, eliminate it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you never know, and you, you, you have to watch out from every angle. You, you never know where it's going to come from. Very, very good answer as well. I know exactly who you're talking about. And the, like, the funny <laughs> thing is that it's become like a proper saga now. So it's actually very interesting. So I, I bet at some point you would love to have that guest back to kind of give like, so what happened? You know, that, that sort of uh, interview as well. Um, now, moving on to the next question. With everything else in life, you know, you end up making some mistakes and learning lessons. What have you learned about yourself through making mistakes in this podcasting journey? Yeah, yeah. First, let me talk about the mistakes and then I'll tell you what I've learned. Okay. Um, So I think preparing is just so crucial, right? Mm -hmm. I had an early interview, I think it was my third interview with actually a very big, very big founder mm-hmm. in that time. And I didn't prepare properly. And I don't know why, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, there, there are no excuses. I, I was busy, but we're all busy. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. And, and I, at least I can tell when I, when I listened to that interview, I can tell that I wasn't prepared. So I, I made sure, fortunately that was early, right? Okay. And fortunately it wasn't a fatal mistake. So yeah. I've made sure to to always prepare ever since, right? And also the more interviews you do, the easier it yeah. is, um, right? Because also I don't like, this is not ping pong, right? Like yeah. I don't like one question, one answer. No, it, there should be spontaneity. So that was number one. Then at some point we started doing video and, and video is a huge mm. opportunity because uh, it's the same content, but you just chop it into a couple minute clips Mm-hmm. and you you get additional additional content there right mm-hmm. and i at one point i noticed that most of my videos were only uh male podcasts or just just men 
I was like, mm. what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that I was making a, a big mistake of asking for permission to do video right before recording, right? That minute. Okay. And men are typically fine with that. Right. I, I had a guy who had not, you know, had not shaved, you know, <laughs> he, like, he kind of looked like, like he had just woken up. And, <laughs> and, and I, I told him, like, I assume we will do no video. He's like, no, of course do video. <laughs> and, and then I had a bunch of ladies who in my mind, they were completely camera ready. Yeah. But, but that's not how it works. You know, like mo- mm-hmm. most, most ladies will, will like to prepare, you know, it didn't, didn't connect for me. Yeah. So that was a big mistake. And so now I try to give warning, right. right. A few days ahead of time. And it's, it's worked out well. Uh, so we're, we're going to be, we're going to be coming out with more videos that include men and women. What I've learned about myself. So listen, man, I mean, my heroes have never been celebrities, mm-hmm. right? Um, my heroes have always been, I mean, there's the historical figures, mm-hmm. but then current figures have, have mostly been business leaders, Right. right? Um, and so to me, this is, this is a dream job, right? Right. I'm, I'm actually getting to talk to these people, um, many of whom were, were my heroes before I started the podcast. And, and so I've, it's helped me humanize a lot of them. You know, right. on one end, I've learned that, you know, many of them come from humble beginnings. And mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes, uh, they're very much regular people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in other cases, you can tell that, you know, they're, they're not, you know, they're, some <laughs> yeah. of them, they're not human, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're amazing. But, but oftentimes they're just almost regular people who, who took a risk. They were consistent, right. right? They were very passionate and they really care about their team, the people, their company, yeah. right? So to me, that's been very inspi- inspiring and it's, also been very encouraging to pursue my own entrepreneurial ambitions. Right. Very interesting. And and who would you say has been, you know, now that you're 203 episodes as of this recording, I think by the time I publish it, it'll be like a thousand episodes or something. I don't know the rate at which you guys are going. Um, Who has been one of the most fascinating or the most interesting guests you've had so far in your opinion? Yeah, well, I got to be honest, like I haven't had a bad interview, right? right. So from every interview I've learned, right? Uh, even the ones where it's someone not too high profile, mm-hmm. uh, you, there's still, everyone has something to offer. So sure. that's, that's number one. But then there's obviously been a few that have been more inspiring than others. And I can think of three, actually. Okay. One hasn't been published yet, and, and it's, it's not going to be published by the time this podcast gets out, but you'll okay. see it in January. And that's Jackie Reese's. Okay. Uh, so she used to be number two at Square. She, she led Square Capital wow. up until November 1st. And, and I, I just talked to her, you know, we're, what, in, in December. So I just talked to her late November. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her role... This is, uh, I know you, your audience uh, is 
uh, international and a lot of LATAM, but this is a specific U.S. example. And, you know, the, the main U.S. program during the pandemic to, mm-hmm. to help out businesses is the, it's called the PPP program, Correct. right? And so Square played a major role. It's one of the few fintechs that was approved mm-hmm. to actually participate in the program um, and, and actually provide this relief to their customers, to their mm. small businesses. And I don't have the exact numbers, but it's in the several billions that they ended up um, distributing to, to, um, to their customers, to small businesses. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, you, you, I mean, that's, that's a podcast that you'll be able to listen, but I, I got goosebumps when she wow. was telling me about the story and how they did it. Cause this were 18 hour, days um they had to it was almost it felt like she was talking about wartime because they had to put a a call for volunteers of other parts of the company to join and actually help with this effort and Mm -hmm. they told him listen this is gonna be um a very challenging time but our Mm -hmm. clients need us and they got overwhelmed by the applications of, you know, fellow employees who wanted to be part of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had, the floor was moving as they were building something and they will build something one day and the requirements will change the next day. Oof. And she would be on the phone with the treasury secretary along with uh, Jack Dorsey. And then the next day they would have to talk again because, you know, the, the, the rules have changed again. So, yeah she just told this amazing story and it was the only time out of the 90 to hundred episodes that I've done yeah. that I got uh, goosebumps. So that was amazing. Then talking to David Vélez from Newbank, that yeah. was inspiring. Mm-hmm. He, he really leaves and, and breathes what he advocates. And, you know, you can tell that he cares about culture. He cares about his people and, mm-hmm. and also something I think is very important. He cares about developing the Latin American ecosystem and, and he's very passionate about STEM education. Right. Right. right? And, and finally, there's also Anu Schultes. She's the CEO of LendUp, okay. uh, big, big fintech in, in California. And to me, I, I, I connected with her because she's, she's an immigrant. Mm-hmm. She came in as a, as a student Mm-hmm. And she's lived the American dream over the last 30 years, mm-hmm. but she hasn't forgotten where she comes from. Mm-hmm. She recognizes that, you know, not everyone has had the successful journey that she's had mm-hmm. and she's actually doing something about it. Right. And, and, and her company has the mission to help um, people improve their financial situation. Amazing. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps right now. That that's <laughs> <laughs> that is spectacular, and and you know the the way you are talking about it, you know, already makes it so worthy of listening. So all my listeners who are who are definitely gonna be checking into this podcast, you know, you should definitely look into Wharton FinTech if you haven't already. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and like the next thing I wanted to ask you, you know, was. Miguel himself, you know, you've had such a 
very diverse sort of background where, you know, you, you've sure you've worked in banking, et cetera, but you've had this sort of inventing a comedy page on Facebook with like millions of followers, uh, doing this podcasting, your passion for fintech, you know, what, what drives you, what gets you out of bed in the morning and what is next for your professional journey? It's, it's a good question. And, and it's, I guess that's a, that's a moving target. You know, you ask yep. me in, in a few years and, and it might change slightly. Sure. But what I do know is that throughout mm-hmm. my life is being able to share any sort of success with my family and my loved ones, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that is truly something that, that drives me and it, it's, it's something very rewarding. Right. right? Number two... Listen, I, I mean, what I love about podcasting yep. is the fact that you have a very direct and immediate impact on a lot of people. So mm. we, we often get emails or, or messages through multiple platforms of, of people who listen to the podcast and get inspired and hopefully motivated to, to continue doing good right yeah and and that is that is truly truly inspiring every time i get one of those and maybe i'm feeling a little bit lazy i just like start working even harder (laughs) so i i I really love those and and that ties to you know having a positive impact i grew up moving around the world and i I saw a lot of governmental systems Mm -hmm. and i saw a lot of a lot of structures in mm. in many different countries but one thing that was clear to me it was the power of capitalism when okay. done right when done responsibly right mm-hmm. so to me you know responsible business can have a very positive impact on society and, and actually make the world a better place there's no doubt in my mind mm-hmm. so being able to to contribute right Mm-hmm. Uh, to to that ecosystem to me that matters and and that's why i think you know it, it's really tied to my next step so my next step right. is is going to be a, still in fintech right um hopefully there'll, there'll still be a, a media angle and and you know i'm i'm excited about that but mm-hmm. the the main the main goal for me is uh vc venture capital investing right okay. for for fintech in the US and in Latin America, right? So nice. I have uh, two partners and we've co-founded uh, a fund called Gilgamesh Ventures. Okay. We're super excited, o- already made uh, a few investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, we, we have big ambitions, right? And, and it's, uh, it's my small contribution to the ecosystem. I, mm-hmm. I believe in, in in the ecosystem in the US, but I'm mm-hmm. also very bullish in what's going on in Latin America. And, and listen, when I came to this country for the first time, I was inspired by just the, the ecosystem, just this impressive ecosystem for entrepreneurs. Right. And so if I can take some of that back to Latin America, you know, I'll be a, a very happy person. And that doesn't mean capital alone. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's not even capital. Sometimes it's uh, access to resources, you know, sure. and, and resources can take many shapes. Yeah. 
What a profound answer that was. And, you know, I kind of feel like perhaps because both of us are immigrants, you know, we share that, that sort of very singular drive to kind of do it because of the sacrifices most of the time, like, uh, like our family made to get us to where we are. Uh, that is an absolute sort of baseline uh, motivation that, you know, constantly drives me. Uh, and that was so well said as well to sort of give back um, whatever you have learned. Amazing answer. Um, now, moving to the next section of uh, payback period, uh, where the guest asks the host a question. Uh, ah, what question it's my you turn. Me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, we've talked before, and, and I know that you moved from Singapore to Mexico City. Yeah. You know, to vastly, vastly different places. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, each one's special in their own way. Yeah. But I know that you experienced some culture shock. Yeah. And I would actually, I would have been surprised if you hadn't. Right. <laughs> uh, now, you've been in Mexico for a number of years. Do you think that if and when you go back to Singapore, yep. do you think that you're going to experience some perhaps reverse culture shock? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I've been going back almost once a year to see my parents, etc. And even then, you know, I kind of get this massive like, whoa, whoa, I'm not used to this anymore. Like right off the bat, the, the level of efficiency in Singapore versus the lack of efficiency in Mexico at times. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, they're both special in their own ways. And initially when I came to Mexico, I was like, oh, if I just do X, I know Y will happen. But normally you have to do X1, X2, X3 before Y can happen. And, um, you know, you learn to sort of understand that, you know, there's guidelines and then how it's actually done, that sort of thing. And, and in Singapore, sometimes where I get like, proud in that sense when I go back and then I, I want to do something and it's done very quickly. Like just as a very direct example, you know, I have to renew my passport, but then they have to send it all the way to Mexico. That process took less than five minutes and I'm getting my passport today, <laughs> you know, all the way from Singapore. Like that, I can't even imagine happening during the pandemic with that level of efficiency. So that, that is one. And, and the other is, you know, Singapore is a way bigger melting pot than Mexico. I kind of feel like Mexico City has become a lot more cosmopolitan, even in the five years that I've been in uh, the city. But it's just the amount of different languages, the kind of different cultures that you experience almost on a minute to minute basis in our food, in the way we talk, in the way we socialize. That sometimes can be a bit of a reverse shock even because I'm so used to like just being with Mexicans or just speaking Spanish or something like that. So that, that, that those two are the two main big things where I'm like, it is a bit of a reverse shock for sure. Great question. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I've, I've moved around the world and, and yeah. the reverse culture shock is real. <laughs> There's no <laughs> doubt about imagine. that. I can imagine. And, and I also love that you are active in the stand-up comedy space. Yeah. Right. And that is something that's not easy. You know, <laughs> in fact, we, we recently on, on, on the Words of the podcast, we just had Eric Satz who Correct. said stand-up comedy is harder than raising <laughs> money for startups or, or VCs. And, 
you know, that says something because he's a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe your Mexican audience versus yeah. maybe a US or Singaporean audience? Yeah, that, that is such a good question as well, you know, because on the surface, people may think as long as you can make a joke it, and it's funny, it, the audience doesn't really matter. And, and, you know, there is, I would say like 50% of the way I approach my standup is reading the, the room, reading the audience. If I understand that, okay, this is the type of audience, I know exactly how to structure my set which jokes I should do first to have them in my, in the palm of my hand so I can continue making them laugh. Uh, and the way it differs is vastly. Like I, a lot of the jokes I make in Mexico, for example, I, I can't do in the U S and I I've been lucky enough to have tried um, stand up in LA in San Francisco in New York. And even within these three cities, the type of comedy that people like is so different. Like New Yorkers are, are a lot more um, in that sense, subtle, you know, they like hearing that, that sort of uh, double entendres or sort of puns or that sort of sarcasm. That's what I've, I've felt. Uh, and Singapore audience, you know, they're a lot more into Russell Peters type of material, which is, you know, where he kind of makes observances about different cultures and explains it through his mind. Uh, that's what I felt. And Mexico is, you know, perhaps the lack of that melting pot and the, the, the jokes that really kill in that sense for me are me as a confused foreigner trying to make sense of Mexican culture and just telling them that, why do you guys do that? And, and they kind of go like, wait, I didn't think about that. And then sort of uh, making them laugh through that. So I, I, I even go of, as far as not doing my stand-up in Spanish so that the, the guy doing it in English drives the point, even though the half, the half of the joke may be in Spanish, but I approach it as a foreigner. So yeah, that, that has been sort of um, a very interesting experience because initially I used to just think as long as I have a joke that's funny, uh, I, can, I should be able to tell it wherever, which is not really the case. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in many ways, comedians are the philosophers of our yeah. time and, and and i really think like some of them are, are brilliant and you know like the, sometimes the comedian is is funny on stage but they have a very tragic personality true i, I don't think that's the case for you but you know <laughs> they uh they they are because they're they're observant true of of the good and bad of, of society and and you know i i i'm a huge fan of, of comedians so Next time we're in the same town, yes, <laughs> crashing one of your shows. Please do. But the good thing is that, you know, this pandemic has given a lot of material for me to write. So I hope once things even semi-open, you know, I'll be rushing down to the stage. So uh, for sure, come by. And well, Miguel, it's been such an amazing time talking to you today. And I wish we could continue recording for, for longer and longer. But before we wrap up, you know, would you like to give some final parting thoughts, some final advice for people who might want to get into podcasting, who might want to get into fintech, or even from the MBA angle, if that's something you'd like to tell people? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, it's, it's been my pleasure. And, and I, I've really enjoyed this. And sorry, we went longer than oh, we had no. planned. <laughs> no, this is, 
you know, that's the beauty of a great uh, interview. You know, you time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for, for people looking to get into podcasting or just any sort of project, mm-hmm. listen, it's, it's not easy unless you truly enjoy what you're doing. Right. Yeah. I've, I've started, like I told you, I've started recording at the beginning of this year and I've only gotten, gotten busier and busier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like, I don't even know what day of the week it is oftentimes. <laughs> right. But it, but that's okay because I truly enjoy it. It's, it's very genuine. It's from the heart. Um, and, and that ties to, you know, a, a better audience, uh, increased numbers. So it just requires you to be very passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And this is even for a small project, you know, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to be consistent and you're mm-hmm. only going to be consistent if you truly love and are interested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So just if you start something, make sure that, you know, it, it's a, it's a labor of love. Right. Yep. Even if you're getting paid, if it's a labor of love and you're getting paid, then that's the dream. Correct. Right. That's really something that I've seen that works. And this is for, for small and large projects. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, when you talk to unicorn founders and it's the same story, right. They, they yep. tell you a very similar story and then they have 3000 people reporting to them. And for a small podcast, it's the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. You just have to be, very passionate and and truly love the process amazing great advice and um if somebody would like to get in touch with you um would you like to share your information yeah absolutely they they can find me on on twitter or on linkedin Mm -hmm. my full name miguel armasa and Mm -hmm. you can add the links on on the show notes sure Um, and yeah just send me send me a message Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for your time today, Miguel. It's been such a pleasure. And I hope I have you back on the show again when uh, you're a VC mogul or, or a media mogul. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get to tell us about your success as well. Listen, Ritik, congrats. And, you know, we'll, we'll be talking a lot more, I have no doubt. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was Lifetime Value.